Welcome to New Life Miami, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nlmiami.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. supposed to start a series four weeks ago and I was sharing this with the leaders last Sunday at our house and the 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 series was and and it'll come soon one day to new life near you but it was to be called godless kings godless kings and we were going to do a a, a week by week series on this on this series godless kings pretty cool name by the way right and um, just things happen and um, I, I can't even begin to tell you what started happening. Uh, all I know is that God says, no. I know you planned godless kings, but I don't want godless kings yet. And it's amazing because godless kings was supposed to end today. Um, it was supposed to be the end of that series. And um, out of nowhere, God gave us a word stretched. <clears throat> we began to teach on it. And then it went to two weeks. And then it went to three weeks last week. And like, man, this is crazy where God is taking us with this word stretched. And then we were here last week, and if you missed last week, my gosh, uh, what God was doing here last week was something amazing. Halfway through the message, uh, I just felt the Lord just say stop. So we said, all right, we're going to stop. We're going to get back into worship, and and God just did something beautiful here. And now today we're going to go into part four of this word stretched, which wasn't even supposed to go for weeks. And today we were supposed to end another series, and today we end a series that God started without us even planning to start it. I told the leaders at our church, there's no way that anyone can tell me that God is not in this place. Because God has worked all these things out. Let me tell you what I think. This is what I believe. Ready? I believe that God needed to share that word to certain people for the last four weeks that you guys needed that word stretched in your life. I believe that. A shadow of a doubt. So it's been amazing because next week we're going to do what we had. Well, we'll see. We we have planned to do. We'll see if it even happens. And, And that's, I even told Tito, who's going to be part of this, I said, don't worry about this. We're going to bump this to next, to this upcoming week coming up. And um, because we're going to start a series called Godless Kings. And God just flipped it all around, still fit the framework, and still is glorified. And we just put our hands behind our back and say, okay, Lord, you just do whatever you need to do. That, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome that, that you go to a church, that you belong to a community, you belong to a people that do and does what God says rather than what man has planned. You can give God some praise. Yeah. And, and it's not me. It's, it's you. It's us. We've done this together. So thank you for, for having faith with me. Amen? Man, God is good. Is God good or what? So, so let's, kind of, let's kind of recap here as we've jumped into this stretch. Uh, we, we've been speaking on stretch. And if you haven't been here for the last three weeks, today's the fourth week. Uh, I'll kind of real quick. It won't give justice. You could always go to our podcast, New Life Miami, and hear it. But as we looked at stretch, we learned that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, in Hebrews 11, 6, it, it teaches us that without faith, everyone say without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And that is something that we need to please God. In order to live a life pleasing to the Lord, we need faith. And faith is mandatory. Faith is needed. And we've learned that each one of us has also been given a measure of faith. Remember that? So yes, faith is needed. So where do I get faith? Oh, it's in you. 
How do you know? Because God, Scripture says God's given it to each one of us. So we've learned that about faith. And we learned that in Hebrews 11.1, 1, in the same chapter, that faith is this. It's confidence in what we hope for, and it's assurance in what we do not see. How, how many of you guys have seen eternity yet? Oh, that would have been scary if some of you would have been like, I have like, what? Get up here and preach then. But how many of you have faith that there is an eternity waiting for you? See, there it is. There it is. That's faith and confidence and and this thing that we hope for. And and we're assured in this that we do not see. And we've learned about that. We've been on and and riding on the life of Abraham. And we've learned that Abraham's life, man, he, he is known as the hero, as the father of faith. But we've learned that faith didn't come easy with Abraham. As a matter of fact, this growth of faith... Um, it, took a, it took a lot of time, and it took a lot of stretch, and it didn't come easy. And I don't know if you remember this from week number one, but we discussed stretch marks. How many of you remember stretch marks? Yeah. Some of you guys are like, I have some. And that's okay. Because stretch marks, when we talk about it spiritually, it's a good thing. Because think about what stretch marks mean. We, we discussed that stretch marks are a sign that something amazing has come from you. So when someone says, oh, you have stretch marks, they're like, oh, but have you seen the children? Remember that? Running around my house. The stretch marks were worth the blessing. I'm, I'm not going to get personal. But that's the truth. Stretch marks. You worry about your stretch marks. Don't worry about that. Here we go. And we discussed something in week one that, that as God is stretching us, and, and we used a little rubber band week one, a bigger rubber band on week two, we said if you let go prematurely of God's stretching, it could bring forth pain in your life. And we saw that in Abraham's life. We see that in a lot of characters in the Bible. It brings forth pain. And, and I'm sure in our lives and in this room, I, I know in week one, a lot of us were like, yeah, it's true. It's me. Many of us have let go of what God was doing in our lives. We've turned away. And all it's done is it's brought pain. It's caused us to, I, I just need to come back to God. Because I've recognized that walking away from him wasn't a solution. We've, we've been there, right? We've been there. You've been there. Remember stretching that rubber band? Remember that? How far you can go? It may just be how far what? You may go. And that's so good to know that, that as God is doing work in our lives and is stretching us, I, I know I have something to reach. I have somewhere to go. But sometimes to get there, I got I to gotta be stretched back in order to be filled with power to go forward. And I pray that you remember all these things, all of this, everything that we've been discussing has all been for one thing. I don't know if you remember this, but it's all to be conformed to the image of his son to show Christ to this world. How many of you could say amen? In week two, we learned that, that we walk by and not by. Yeah, we learned that on week two. We, we learned that we are to live in obedience. And living out in obedience brings forth faith. It brings forth complete trust in him. We learned that our stretching is possible because he first stretched for us. Remember that one? His last stance for humanity was stretched on the cross, pointing at one man to the side, pointing to the other criminal, and pointing to the rest of the world that I was stretched for you. Now can you stretch for me? What an amazing week week two was. I'm telling you, you got to go to the podcast if you missed all those. And then last week, we, 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 we jumped into reckless faith. Remember that one? Last week, part three, reckless faith. And we learned and stretched last week that faith, as it comes from God, it's a gift from God, it's a gift to us. How many of you guys remember this? That faith comes with covenant. Faith comes with covenant. We can't expect to have faith and live in faith, but yet not be in, co- in covenant. 
and I discussed my wife and I discussed marriage and I said, you know, it's so amazing as a, as a, as a man and as a woman to want to receive from that man or the, or the man receive from that woman and yet not being covenant. And, and that's how it is in our relationship with the Lord. How many of you could say amen? Lord, I want blessings. Lord, I want faith. And God's like, I want a relationship. I want a commitment. I want, I want all of you. And we learned that faith, man. It's grown on the altar. And, and that's what we want to pick up on today. We want to pick up on Abraham and Isaac. Uh, if you have your Bibles, just so you can know where we were at last week, open up to Genesis chapter 22. That's what we learned last week, Abraham and Isaac. And, and I asked, what's your offering? What do you have to give to God? And, and, and I don't know if you remember this, but we went to three different words. Remember the phrase, God will provide. I love that. As I walked up here today, I've just received testimonies. One sister, as I'm walking up, she looked at me, she goes, I passed the test. And another person in the back was telling me another story. Oh, this is what God did. And it's so cool because all I hear is God will provide. I was stressed out, but God will provide. I was stretched, but God will provide. And I've been listening that just today, being in church for, for a couple, for an hour or two, I've been listening to stories already how God is providing. How many of you can, can confess and proclaim today that God has provided in your life? Amen. Amen. So we're going to jump on this and we're going to learn and continue to go on to this because last week we flirted with this, that on the altar where, where we feel like it's always meant to receive, to receive, to receive. Maori spoke a little bit about that when it comes to your tithing, where it feels like receiving, receiving, receiving. All over scripture, we see that on the altar, actually it's meant to give. And to give to the Lord, give to the Lord an offering, give to the Lord a sacrifice. And, and, and we learned last week that Paul said that we would be a living sacrifice pleasing to the Lord. So let's jump into Genesis 22, just so you can know where we're at and how God spoke this to um, our lives. Um, everyone on Genesis 22? All right, very good. Look at verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass that after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Um, so amazing, right? Um, listening to God's call on your life and answering, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. You know, that wasn't his only son, but that was the son of promise. That's the son that mattered. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. I, I want you to catch that. We, we spoke a little bit about this last week. On, on the Mount Moriah, what was Abraham to do? Offer a what? Yeah. I really want you to learn that because it's all over the Bible. Abraham doesn't come um, to Mount Moriah saying, oh, I'm coming over here because God's going to give me something. No, no. God told me to come to this mountain because I need to give him something. Isn't that amazing? Let, 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 let's, let's, get, let's get a little serious here. Can you imagine if we come to Mount New Life? Mount each other? And we take up this area. Just look up here for a second. And as we take up this area on a Sunday, we don't actually come over here and say, let me see what I can receive today. But we say, I know God called me to church today to see what I can give him today. Wow. Imagine what God would do in us and through us if our spirit, if our heart, if our soul, the depth of it was, I'm going to church today. Why are you going to church today? So that I could give. You see, because the truth is, I receive throughout the week. I receive in my devotion with the Lord. You receive, right, throughout your relationship with Christ. But when you come together and we begin to worship and we begin to exalt and we begin to rub off each other and we begin to say yes and amen to things that are being preached, what is that doing? We're, we're giving, we're giving praise back to God. 
We're giving back, and, and hopefully at the end, we're giving ourselves as an offering, a living sacrifice. So church, boom, that should have burst, burst in a bubble right there. Church was never meant to receive. Uh, even church is, is, is meant as we come together to what? To give. It's to give. It's to give. It's to give. God gives. Uh, God is a giver. We're givers. Let's keep reading. Chapter 22, here we go. So take now your son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land where I offer him there as a burnt offering. Did you guys catch that last week? I don't know if you were here last week, but did you catch it today? Offer who? Him. Your, your precious son. Some of you are sitting next to your children maybe or whatnot. Imagine that word to you. Offer your precious son. Offer your, your promised son. Offer him as an offering. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He got his donkey ready. He took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. You know, they should substitute that, right? And his offering, he took his offering with him. His son was his offering to the place in which God had told him. Verse 4, then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, he says, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac, his son. He took the fire in his hand, a knife, and the two of them went together. And Isaac told his dad, Abraham, he says, my father, what is his son? Look at the fire. Look at the wood. Where's the offering? Where is the lamb that we're going to kill? And Abraham looks and says, my son, God will provide for himself. I love that on the third day. On the third day they got there. I love that on the third day, the lamb, the lamb was the revelation to the world that he was the greatest offering in the New Testament. And here we are now, and here's Abraham, and here's Isaac's story. And Isaac's like, Dad, we got an issue here. Everything's in place but the offering. He's going to prepare altars to put an offering on it. And we flirted with this last week. We'll continue on it again today. And here it is, church. Preparing altars is about placing offerings on top of them. That's what it's about. And all over scripture, whenever you look at offerings that are put on offers, they're killed, they're burned up to the Lord. All over in the Old Testament. I'll go to some just for an example. In Exodus, actually. In Exodus chapter 18, we see an amazing passage here. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, giving some advice and, and, and some direction to Moses. But I love in, in, in Exodus 18, 12, listen to this. It says, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, he took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. There it is. It's, it's an offering, and it's being prepared before the Lord. And it says, And Aaron came with all of the leaders, all of the elders of Israel, to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before the presence of God. I, I love how, how there's an altar. I, I love that here with Jethro and Moses and with Aaron, there's an, a sacrifice and an offering being given. And then there is a fellowship. There is a communion in the presence of God together as they're giving an offering before God. It's all over the Bible. You can't run from that. I wish I could tell you, psych, just kidding. You don't have to do that. There's another one that's very famous. We've preached it here probably multiple times. In 1 Kings, just a famous one to read to you. In 1 Kings chapter 18, how many of you guys re remember the story of the prophet Elijah? When it says, when he says, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening 
sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. I am your servant and that I've done the things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that these people would know that you are the Lord God and that you've turned their hearts back to you again. I love verse 38 in 1 Kings 18. Here it is. Then the fire, everyone say fire. Right, because all over Scripture in the Old Testament, that is represented for the presence of God. Then the fire of the Lord, then the presence of the Lord fell and consumed. Everyone say consumed. Yeah. The burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. The presence just, 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 just licked up the offering. Just took in all of it. There was, this is the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. When he prepares an altar and he puts the offering and God takes up all of the offering for himself. Because if you read the rest of the story, everyone, the children of Israel, fall to their faces. And they begin to finally turn away from false gods, Baal. And they begin to cry out to the one true living God. That's why I'm preaching these things. That's why I believe God has stirred this stuff in our heart. Because we need to be what? We need to have such a faith, be so stretched, be so reckless with our faith that we are willing to do whatever it takes, placing our very own lives as an offering before God that he will consume us, the offering, and that in that it would be contagious that everyone that's outside and all these spaces outside of these walls would see that the Lord has licked us up with his presence, has consumed us with his presence, and that they too would want it, would fall to their faces and say, give me the presence of God that you have. We need that in our nation, in our community, in our workplaces. Come on, let's get, let's talk real serious. In our families, in your living rooms, some of us need it in our bedrooms. The presence of God that is so contagious that those around us say, what is it? It's my life. It's been given as an offering. And the Lord, his presence, now dwells. You want this? Absolutely. What do I got to do? This is what you got to do. Don't just come to the altar. Live on the altar. Not to the altar. On the altar. On the altar. I love that the bride lives at the altar in the New Jerusalem. If you're the bride of Christ, you know, you're going to be given a crown of life, right? It's going to be a beautiful crown. But what's beautiful about it is not even ours. We walk in, it's put on our head. We walk up to the throne room of God. We take off the crown, and guess where we put it? At the feet of Christ. In his presence. At his altar. While he's giving us eternal life. Even there in his presence, we're giving him the crown of life that was given to us. It's about giving, man. Even in eternity, the altar there is about giving. It's about giving. Heaven is not like, I'm going to walk down streets of gold and I'm going to. No, no. Heaven is about, I'm going to give praise to God for all eternity. I don't want to just go to the altar in my life here on earth, but I want to live on the altar because I'm recognizing what we're preaching here, and that is that preparing altars is to put an offering on it. It's for the Lord to consume me so his presence could live in me. 
So I asked the church, I said, what's our offering? And, and, and maybe I said that last week. What is your offering? What are you willing to put there on the altar? Are you willing to put not just parts of your life, because many of us do that so well. I'm talking about myself right now, where I put parts of my life on the altar. But how many of us struggle with putting all of ourselves on the altar? Why do we struggle with putting all of ourselves? Let's be honest, because we struggle with trust. What is, what is another word for that? We struggle with what? There it is, faith. So then the Lord needs to stretch us and say, are you going to come? Yeah, I'll go to it again. I'm not talking to go to it. I'm telling you to go on it. Don't be a spectator. Be burnt up. Fill me up. Right. That stuff is about those songs. It's not about spectators going to it. Those are, those are talking about what? Offerings being placed on it. Man, if you catch that. And the more we live on the altar, this I didn't share with you, but I did share this with the leaders for dinner last Sunday, and I'm going to share it with you today. The more we live on the altar, the less time we have on foolish things. How many of you are just tired of dealing with foolish things? How many of us would say, I am the foolish thing that I constantly deal with? The more we live on the altar, the less we are distracted on these things. Because you know what's beautiful about the altar? Well, I've already given it to you, right? The altar is to give. And you, have you recognized that the more you give, the less selfish you are? I don't know if I'm touching home yet. But the reason why I need to live on the altar is because my life now is being given. And when my life is now fully being given for the rest of all of my living, watch this, I'm really what? Living a life that is less about me and more about his glory. Wow, man, man. So, so when I live on the altar and I'm giving on the altar, I'm not necessarily asking with all of my life. Watch what I'm doing. I'm giving with all of my life. So watch this. As I'm giving with all of my life on the altar, guess what's happening to me? I'm gossiping less. I'm being filled with jealousy less. I'm being filled with less hatred, less contention. I'm, I'm, I'm being filled with less well, whooping people. How can people serve me better, etc., etc. But when I'm on the altar, everything changes. Now, how can I give? How can I love? What can I give for people? How can I touch? someone's life how can I reach something how can I reach someone his presence does away with things that are focused on self and it puts us back on track and aligns us to this truth to put our eyes on Christ seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and then regal then you will get it all things shall be added to you but first seek the things of God the things that pertain to God and then all things shall be added to you on the altar you always seek the things of God off the altar, you find yourself seeking the things of man. So I got to live on the altar. We got to live on the altar. Thank you for giving that. That's awesome. You just give a blessing. That's good. You're, you're listening. We got to live on the altar. We look at Abraham, and Abraham got his faith. It was grown it grew when he found himself in his most difficult place, his altar. And it's time that we don't come to the altar, but it's time that we come on the altar. But wait, stay on it. Stay on it. You know, I know Abraham's life was never the same again. You might ask, why? Why do you know? Well, read the Bible. It, it, it's never the same again. Especially after this encounter. Abraham's life is never the same again. I could almost picture this. Ready? That when Abraham's wife complained to him, maybe about the mortgage bill, you know, just to make it relevant today, I, I could almost see him looking at her, not knowing where the money's going to come from, but just looking at her and said, baby, 
remember, I've been on the altar. Imagine what that does to her. I could almost see Abraham's life, his sons were maybe at some point of his life being rebellious. And everyone was worried about his family. Maybe again, his wife and those closest to him were, were all caught up. And Abraham looks at his family and says, don't worry about our children. We live on the altar. I could almost see Abraham's life when his job laid him off. I wonder if this speaks to anyone here, right? Laid him off. How am I going to tell my family that I'm no longer making income? But then something of faith arises in us and says, wait a minute. I've been through this before. That's right. I'm an offering. I'm a sacrifice. I live on the altar. Uh, Dad, where's the offering? I see the wood. I see the fire. But where is the lamb for the offering? My son, don't worry about that. God will provide for himself. You know why I love stories of people like pray for me because I got laid off and I don't even know how I'm going to go back home and tell people that I got laid off and how. And then I love it that like two weeks later, like guess what? I got a phone call from nowhere. No way. Yes, it was like a miracle. Really? I'll tell you what it was. It was God showing you, I always provide. But here it is. How many of you are waiting for a certain provision from the Lord? But, but, but. He's also waiting for a giving on the altar. I'm, I'm going to provide because I always, I'm always faithful in providing for you. But what are you going to give me? Not two, but on the altar. So you could see that I remain faithful. I remain faithful. Come. Come. Don't, don't come through. But come. <laughs> come. But come on the altar. I believe when he came to the end of his rope. I can picture Abraham, this man, with a, as a man of, of bigger and better faith, a man that says it's fine. I'll take it back to the altar, on the altar where faith is, and watch what seems impossible become possible again. How many of you in your life have, I mean, just numerous testimonies of things that were impossible, God make them possible again in your life? Look at those hands. I wish some of you would come up here and just grab the mic every once in a while and share it. A lot of you rolls your hand. Because you serve a God of what? That makes all things possible. And the best time of, and the greatest time to share that and to live in that is when you're on this altar. I want to get into a passage, and I want to read it from Eugene Peterson's commentary. Because maybe God has created things to happen in our lives because he's calling us here on this altar as, uh, to live as an offering, to be consumed by his presence like we're talking about. But let's read this passage. It's a known passage that we've read here. It's Romans chapter 12. I had to, have, I needed to read it it's somewhere in the four weeks, so I best, best to close with it. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, if you have your Bibles or if you just want to follow with me, it, it'll come up on the screen, this translation. Look what it says. Please catch this. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, right? You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work. Walking around. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you could do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Come on, man. 
You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. That's good. That's good. Because, because I see what, what Paul is saying in Romans 12. And I love how Eugene Peterson kind of writes it. And, and he, as, if you know anything about Eugene Peterson, and he studies the scriptures, and he studies the, the Greek and the Hebrew, and then he words it in such a, a beautiful way. It's almost like, a, like poetry to my, to my eyes and my ears. Take your ordinary, everyday life, and look what he says. Sleeping, eating, going to work, rocking around life. And what do you do? What do you do with all of that stuff? Place it before God as what? Why? What? What do I place it before? You place it as an offering. Why an offering? Because what? It's offer his what? Offerings are for the glory of God. You give it to him so that he could, he could fill it with his presence. It's, it's offer him. Uh, son, son, God will provide for him a lamb. God will provide a lamb for himself. And then God will provide through you for himself. Oh, there, there is someone in your family. There is someone at your workplace. There is someone in this church that needs what you can offer them. It, through you, God wants to use you. So what does he do? He, he's going to prepare an offering for himself. And, and we need to get to this point in our lives that, that we are the offering that God wants to use us in this world that we live in. Oh, the world's getting dark. Oh, the government's falling to whatever, to hell. Oh, oh all things. And oh, who do we vote for? Oh, just be an offering and change the world around you because God wants to do miracles and God wants to do signs and God wants to do wonders and God wants to bring salvation to a lost and lonely world and God wants to shine as light in the midst of darkness. So who's he going to do it with? Here it is. It's through the beloved. It's through the church as they live on the altar as an offering. They become an offering for himself for the rest of this world. Live your ordinary everyday life on the altar. As an offering, place it before him as an offering. Embracing what God does for you, it's the best thing that you could do actually for what? For him. For him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture. I know this is speaking to someone in here today. Don't fit around with everything and the way everyone thinks. I, I love this. You know what Paul is saying, right? Be a rebel. Go against you're ordinary. Be extraordinary. You see the flow? Come against the current. Go against it. Everyone's following that way? Fight this way. I love the woman of the flow of blood. I love it because there was a different charge in her. There was a different faith in her. Everyone was just there to see what they, well, let, let me, she was like, no, if I got to, if I got to get on the floor and if I got to crawl to him and be stepped all over, but I'm going to reach him. And here we are, the bride, and we got to be like the woman of the flow of blood. I have such a faith that I know sometimes it's a struggle, but I will never go with, but I will always go against so that I could please God. And if it takes for me to be stepped on and for me to be ridiculed and for me to be made fun of and for me to be the, 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 the outcast, it's fine with me. I'll be the rebel for the cause of Christ. Why? Why would you do that? Because I'm an offering placed not to the altar, but on the altar as an offering to him. My son, God will provide a lamb for himself. Are you the lamb that God wants to provide for himself? Are you the offering? Here I am. I'm the offering, God. And I want what, what 
what this is saying here changed, not just from the outside in. I know a lot of us do it that way, but it's not the right way to do it. We never are to change from the outside in. What great is it being beautiful outwardly, but being disgusting inwardly? But God does something beautiful where he changes us from the inside out, recognizing what he wants from us, responding to it, not like the culture around us, dragging us down into maturity, but God bringing the best out of us, developing them, developing us, well-formed maturity in us. Come on, man. Paul in Philippians chapter 2.17, he goes on to say this, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life. How do you do that? How, how in the world do you do that? I'll tell you why. Paul was a, Paul was a, a walking offering. <laughs> I will rejoice even if I lose my life. Look what he says next. Pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. I'm, I'm a drink offering before the Lord. I'm being poured out. It's not even from my glory, Paul says. My life is being offered up to the Lord. How, how did Paul get to this point of his life? I think I know the answer. It hit him. Live on the altar where your life becomes his offering. I'm a liquid offering. I'm a drink offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Do you almost feel like Paul is saying that today to New Life? New Life, I want all of you to share in this joy. Did you catch this? The greatest joy in your life is giving your life to the cause of Christ. Giving yourself as an offering to him. And here is Paul to the point that he is bold enough to say this. I will even rejoice even in losing my life. The only way I know someone is able to rejoice when they to the point of even losing their life is when their lives become an offering to the Lord. When on their deathbed, they're breathing their last breath and they say, I live my life to glorify him. I could go see him now. Can you imagine that? So here we are and we're discussing the altar and we learn that this truth that God provides and he will provide. And on this altar, we have less to say and will live in obedience knowing that he is faithful. And that when we see his faithfulness, something happens to us. Something that we started talking about last week, something reckless happens to us. Where our faith is stretched and where faith begins to activate in a reckless manner. And recognizing that wherever our reckless faith takes us, we have this belief that God always provides for us. The place where everything dies and only God lives is in the presence of God. Do you know what Moses what God told Moses one day, God, show me your glory, show me your glory. What did God tell Moses? No man can see my what? My glory. No man can see my face. No man can see my presence and what? And live. But then we continue to read and we recognize that we will see his glory and we will live. But the only way that that is possible is if there is a first a death in his presence. And when we all come before the presence of God and we live on the offering, a lot of self dies. All of self dies. And when all of self dies because we can't see the glory of God, then all of him lives in us. And we finally see 
the purposes, and we see the glory of God in our lives. And that's all over Scripture. I need to die so that he can live. Can you say that to yourself? I need to die. You're scared to say that, huh? So that he may live in me. In and on that altar is where everything, in his presence is where everything dies, but yet only in God everything shall live. I love that. I love that Aaron's rod, when it was placed at the mercy seat in the tabernacle, when it was placed in the, in, in the Holy of Holies, I love that when they put Aaron's rod in the Holy of Holies and the presence of God came, the rod began to bud again. It was a dead branch. I'll tell you why. Because God's teaching us something. In my presence, things that are dead live again. But don't think that you, can't, you, you have to go through death. To then experience life. Jesus died, but then he resurrected. And I recognize that on the altar, my lack of faith needs to die. So that when I resurrect on that altar, will resurrect as a man of faith. How many of you can say amen? Doubt dies there. Doubt will die today. Lack of faith dies today. A reckless faith may be formed in us today. We're going to get into the book of James, but before we jump into chapter 2, in James 1.6, it says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts, look at this, is like a wave driven and tossed by the wind. No substance, no foundation. It's a person that goes by every wind of doctrine and goes by anything that anyone says. Hey, have you ever, have you ever been someplace in the faith and then another place and you just feel like you're, you're going back and forth like a seesaw? One person of influence tells you something. Another person of influence tells you something and you don't know where to stand. Hey, this is what Paul is saying. Let him who asks, ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Be firm in this stuff. Be planted in this stuff. I, I love what I wrote here, and I read it. I forgot who I read it from, but here it is. The power to believe provides the power to change. And I know that there is a change that God always wants to do in me, but I need to also activate the power of faith in my life. And I need to recognize that. So as we jump into James chapter 2, uh, that's what I want to encourage, to have the power to believe today. And you're going to see that there is a power to change today. Open up to, to James 2 with me. And as we read James chapter 2, look what, look what James is telling the church. And I'll read from 14 on. And I want you to see how it's time to put faith into action. How many of you guys remember that I said every week, I said, hey, you have muscles. Your muscles grow when you what? Exercise them. All of us have faith. Your faith will grow when you what? Yeah. Lift up weights to, to grow it. And it's the same thing. Remember the week where I talked about weight? And there's more weight. People, call, people are able to carry more weight than others. Well, how do, you, how do you think they got to the point that they're able to carry more weight? Well, they exercise their strength. They, they exercise their faith. So, so God will give you what you can handle. How many of you read that scripture before? Well, God will give you it never gives anything we can't handle. Right. But what can you handle? Have you ever looked at it that way? Well, God will never give me anything. We always feel like, God will never give me anything I can handle. God will, and, and we like, take courage in that. Don't take courage in that. Oh, God will give me whatever I can handle. No, no, what can you handle? Our prayer should be, Lord, I want to handle more. So, so what do you got to do? You got to have more faith. How do I get more faith? Exercise it. Watch how I am faithful when it seems impossible for anything to be faithful in your life. Hey, has a doctor, has a family, has a friend, has a loved one, has anyone personally ever told you that's impossible, that can never happen in your life? I love how God just says, right, and they created your insights, and they created the circumstance. 
Oh, wait a minute. They could tell the wind and the waves where to come and where to go? Oh, wait. They put the stars in its place and they called each one by name? And you're worried about what man says? And you haven't brought that offering to me on the altar yet to see what I have to say about it? Come on, come up on the altar and be stretched and watch how I tell you that there are trillions of stars and I know each one by name. And watch what I could do to your circumstance. How I am the God that could call all things to seem impossible and make them possible in me. Come, I'll show you all the stars and I'll tell you what I named them. I have funny names for them. Man, you don't even understand God. I don't even understand. That's crazy. Let's go to James. Let's exercise our faith. Everyone say exercise faith. I believe this word is for someone today. Here it is. In James chapter 2, verse 14, it says, What does it profit if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Isn't that good? Can faith save him? What, what, what is James really saying? What does it profit, brothers, if, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? What does that really mean? If someone says they're of faith but there's no exercise. Hey, I'm a man of faith, but dang, look at my life. I live, in, I live in just total sin and darkness. Man, I'm a man of faith, but don't, don't ever ask me to believe in anything. What does it profit if someone says he's of faith, but, but does not have works? It's not being exercised. Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed, and be filled, but you don't give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Can you imagine that? Hey, go be warmed. Give me a blanket. No, just go be warmed. I'm asking you for a cover. So, so it says, if you don't give which is needed, what does it profit? Verse 17, also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. But someone will say, you, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and, and I will show you my faith by my works. That's good. Because a lot of people do that. Oh, well, I'm good. You have faith and, 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 and I'm a good person. And, and here someone says, well, well, I do good things, but, but I lack in faith. And, and, and then here's James and he says this. He says, show me your faith without your works and, and I will show you my faith by my works. And, and what he's really doing is he's drawing something out of the ground here so that the listeners can listen. And here it is, that there is a faith that comes out of us that is demonstrated and it is shown by the life that we live out before others. Our faith is most influential when it's what? When it's worked out before others. Not when we're proclaiming it just on the gram. Not when we're just tweeting it. And not when we're just putting it up somewhere. But the greatest way that you could be a person of faith is what? Is by being someone who what? Lives out in that faith. Before who? Before others. What does that mean? You're an offering unto God. So you live out your faith before others. Faith without works is dead. And it's so true. What do I got to do then? You got to then what? Exercise a faith. Because every single one of us has been given a measure of faith. Amen to that. Praise God. So what do I do now? Go out and live in faith. How do I do that? Believe in things. Trust that God will provide. Live on the altar. Be about his word and his presence. Let's keep reading. You believe that there is one God and you do well. Even the demons believe in tremble. Oh, crap. That stinks. Because that smacks me now because I thought I was good just because I believed in God. And James says, no, believing in God is not good enough because demons believe. And as a matter of fact, they even tremble. Uh, I love how demons um, have more effect before God than even humans do, right? We believe in God and sometimes we don't even tremble before God. We fall asleep before God. Demons believe and they tremble before him. But you do not, 
Look what he says, 20. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Look at now how he describes this. And he's really going to define it through Abraham's life. And then he talks later on about Rahab. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? The, the Lord saw that he was what? Faithful and counted it him. Counted it as righteousness. The Lord saw him exercise a faith that was in him and called him righteous. Let's keep going. Do you see that faith was working together with works? And by works, faith was made perfect. I, I love that word uh, perfect there because it actually means complete. It doesn't mean perfected. It means complete. Do you see that faith was working together with works? And by works, faith was made perfect? That's so amazing because I know that my life has to be, like I said, on the altar as an offering before him. But you know, I always find myself, when I take myself off the altar, it's always at times when I lack faith in God. Because what I'm really telling God is, I'm not sure if you're going to provide on this one. And then he comes in and James says, did you see this? Faith was working with works. And by the works, faith was made perfect. Abraham did what was not even reasonable on that altar, his son. So that faith, so that faith was stretched and that he, and not only he, but his son would see that God always provides. Verse 23 says, and scripture was fulfilled and it says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Verse 24 says, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Is faith important? Yes. But you know what else is important? Activating that faith. Exercising that faith. What does that mean? Putting that faith to work. So likewise, verse 25, Rahab, the harlot, that's right, also justified by works. She received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, listen to this, so is faith without works is dead also. I really pray that you grab the word and the, the doctrine here found in James chapter 2 and really grab it for yourself. And we could argue Doctrine all we want on James 2, but it's smack right in the scripture. There is a faith that is in the believer that needs to be worked out. Because faith without works is no true faith at all. But faith that has works is true faith. So watch this. What is your works? You have faith? Everyone's like, yeah. What is your works? Your works should be this. I place Isaac. I place my life on the altar as an offering to him. You're willing to do that? Yeah. You're, you're willing to exercise that faith? Yeah. Reckless faith brings forth reckless works, brings forth an exercise. An exercising of faith. It brings out a reckless life. We learn in Scripture that he who the Son sets free, we know that it's free indeed. And, and we see there that there is no restraint, that, that now we have the freedom, the capability to move in faith through the Word of God in Christ Jesus. And there's a boiling that God wants to do in our faith. Me and my wife had a, had a funny situation recently that we had to boil water to, to bathe in hot water. And, and when you look at water and I boil milk for my son, 
or you boil, mil- boil water and milk, have you ever recognized the, the temperature and, and how water boils? There's so many different degrees. Listen to this. There's one form of water that's called tepid water, and it's 85 to 105 degrees Fahrenheit. And it says that that water is comparable to the temperature of the human body. Uh, you could touch that water. It's warm. Then there's a warm water, it's called, and that's about 115 to 120 degrees Fahrenheit. And that water is touchable, and it's not so hot. It's not hot. And then you get to a place called hot water. Hot water goes from 130 to 135 degrees Fahrenheit. That water is too hot to touch, but without injury, you could just touch it, but it's, it's a little hot. And then you have this other form of water called poach, and it's 160 to 180. Now the water is beginning to move and shiver. You've ever boiled water and you see it like shivering in the bottom, and it's just shivering. It's not boiling. It's just like little bubbles kind of in the bottom. Then you have another word called simmer. Simmer is 185 to 200 degrees Fahrenheit. Now we start to look at the water and there is movement. There are actually little bubbles that begin to appear in the water. We want to know why they begin to pop up, move around. And then you have what is called a slow boil. Don't put your finger during this time. But a slow boil is 205 degrees. Now there is more movement. Now there are larger bubbles that are noticeable. But then comes the famous degree and it's 212 degrees. If you ever studied this, the water is now rolling. If you've seen it, it's like rolling in your pan. It's your pan is like there's life in it. It's vigorously bubbling and it's steaming and you put your face on it and it even actually feels a little good sometimes. Just don't touch it. And I start to think about that water boiling. I start to see that when, I don't, when it's not boiling, it just looks like stale water in a pan. But when it's boiling, that water looks like it has a lot of effect and it could do a lot of damage. When that water is at its most boiling place, I've recognized, man, I could really cause some damage with this boiling water. I could really wreck someone's life with this. I could even wreck my life. I remember I had a student one day that showed up to school, and by accident, his mother didn't notice he was there and threw a pan over, and he had boiling water all over him. He came with patches all over him. He said, you're right. And he's like, bro, boiling water, it has an effect. It really causes damage. It's good. They didn't take him away from his mom. It was an accident. But boiling water really does that to you. I mean, if I were to grab a hot water and throw it at you, ah, I might burn a little bit, but you'll get over it. Warm water, ah, you didn't do anything. But if I throw boiling water at you, I mean, there, there's some things are going to really happen. And, you know, as I started to look at water, I started to talk about faith. I'm going to get ready to end now. I thought about Revelation and what Revelation says. In the book of Revelation, when all things come to an end and God goes ahead and he judges all the churches, There is one thing that he tells the church, the lukewarm church. And he tells them in chapter 3, verse 16, he says, But since you are lukewarm, and I love the NLT, it says, You are like lukewarm water. You are neither hot, you are neither cold. And look what the Lord says. I spit you out of my mouth. I I read that verse and I get what, what Christ is saying and I get what that means to me. That I want to live a life that is not... Not cold, not medium, not warm. Now, oh, it's likable. I don't want to live a likable life. And I don't want to be like everyone else. I want to live a life not lukewarm, that if you come in, you'll feel comfortable. It's not too cold, not too hot. If you get around me in my house, if you get around me in my car, if we go do life together, you're going to be okay. I want something about us to begin to do life with others, and it begins to irritate them, not for the bad, but because of what's boiling in us affects everyone it touches. 
Oh, that you are like lukewarm water. I love what Proverbs says in chapter 1, verse 32. It says, the complacency of fools will destroy them. I don't want to be complacent. I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to be likable. I get what James is saying. I get what Jesus is saying in Revelation. Here it is. Ready? I want my faith to boil. And I want it to bubble inside. And I want that when someone sees my faith, it's not like just water in a pan. Like, oh, that's cute. It's water in a pan. Everyone has a little bit of faith. No. I want that when someone looks at my pan and says, whoa, there's water in that pan and it's very dangerous and it's bubbling and if anyone touches it, they're going to get burned. I mean, they're going to feel the effects of it. I don't want to just be, listen to this, ready? Tepid water and warm water or hot water or poached water or simmer water or a slow boil. I want to be what's called a real boil that when people get around me, they recognize that the presence of God lives in me because there's a faith in me that has been stretched. So I place myself on an altar as an offering to him come do life with us and get affected by us because there's a thing that's boiling in us it's a faith in Christ that is contagious and it happens when we place ourselves on the altar I love that on the altar things burn I love that on the altar on my stove things burn and things get cooked up and things get received sometimes most of the times they're good every once in a while like ah that was a bad offering I didn't like the meal but that's who we are before God place us on the altar Place us on the stove where your presence comes down. Boil in me a faith that everywhere and anywhere and anyone I do life with, that I walk before, I would boil before them and I would make an impact that they could say there is something vigorously steaming, bubbling, rolling in you. And we say, absolutely, it is the presence of Yahweh. God's presence is in me. Absolutely, there's something boiling in me. I want a water. I want a faith that boils. I don't want to be complacent because I've recognized that all over Scripture and even the wise words of Proverbs says, complacency of fools destroys them. I don't want to be destroyed by complacency. I want to, everyone say this, we want to overcome. And the only way we overcome is by our faith. I want to have a faith in your word, a faith in the testimony you've given me. As we turn to Hebrews 11, turn there and then stand with me as we get ready to close. And Hebrews 11 is a passage that we've visited throughout the last four weeks. And I'm going to read from verse 30 on. Because it says, by faith they overcame. Listen to this. You've heard this maybe before, but listen to this. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Verse 32, and what more should I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson. Remember when we read this? And also of David and Samuel and the prophets. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness they were made strong. Anyone in here? They became valiant in battle. They turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. 
that they might obtain a better resurrection. Man, that is good. Others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, even of chains and even imprisonment. But they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were cut in half. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. If you only knew that they used to sew sheepskin on top of them and leave them out like animals. And they would sew, that, sew it on the Christians. And they would walk out of the community like sheep. Imagine the pain of carrying that and it's being sewed on you. Afflicted and tormented. Verse 38. Of whom the world was now worthy... I love what the author of Hebrews says. The world wasn't even worthy of these saints. They wandered in deserts and in mountains, in dens and in caves of the earth. And all of these obtained a good testimony through what? Through faith. They did not receive the promise, but they all obtained a good testimony through faith. You know, I read this and I get what he's saying. They lived a life of faith, but they received no necessary promise on earth. It was not like, oh, look at, I love what Marty says, look at my house, look at my car, look at what I got because I live for God. They didn't really receive that. But verse 40 says, God, having provided something even better, better than the earthly promise, they should not be made perfect apart from us. I love what 39 and 40 is saying. It goes on with, with what it continues, with what it says even prior to all this. That, that there is a faith in us. That, that there is this thing that God wants to boil in us. There, there is a faith that all these people, and he names some, and some he doesn't even name. He says others. Others were mocked. Others were scourged. Others were chained. Others were imprisoned. Others were stabbed with swords. Others were, were slain. Others were tempted. Others were goat-skinned and destitute, afflicted and tormented. Others, others, these others, we'll all see them in heaven one day. We're all going to hug them one day in heaven. These are the others. And all of these, they obtained a good testimony through faith. And I love this because, because I'm recognizing that, that Scripture is teaching me that my reckless faith, it doesn't await anything that is, that is earthly, but my reckless faith awaits something so much greater than anything that I could ever think of. It awaits for Christ's coming kingdom that I so long for to enter. So I need faith because i got to overcome this world that I live in so that I can enter the world that I belong to. So boil in me a faith, oh God, that would be so alive that I would overcome whatever it might be. That I would live a life pleasing to you and be an offering to you. That whatever I go and whenever we go through something, well, how is God and how are we and where is the... We could look at one another. We could look at our very own selves and we could repeat these words this phrase God will provide an offering for himself Lord here I am an offering for yourself a man with faith that struggles 
a man with faith that doubts. A man that often tells people, you got to have faith. And at times, the first one to struggle with faith. So here I am, Lord. Before witnesses, before brothers, before sisters, and before your presence. That I, that we would live on the altar. That your presence would consume us. And as that fire and as that presence fills us, that our faith would boil. That it would come alive. And like James teaches, it would not just be faith alone, but it would be faith with works. Faith that is lived out. And that whatever may come to every person that's here, families, individual or as a unit together we could recognize that all we need is to be that offering pleasing to you that living sacrifice unto you that you would boil in us stretching us of faith and that it would overcome in all things through pain through suffering through through being slain through being mocked through being tortured through being outcasted, through whatever might be said and whatever we might enter into, that through faith, we will obtain. Through faith. So as we sing this song, Lord, and we ask, fill me up. You know who this series, who this four weeks of messages was for. And we pray for this, Lord, more faith. And we recognize that our faith that we pray for our faith that we want more of, we recognize today. Lord, I want more faith, but I get it. You want me on the altar too. So here I am, scared to say it, but I'll say it. Here I am, I'll put myself on the altar so that I can be an offering, an offering unto you. And in that, I'll have more faith. So church, as we sing and as we worship him, I want you to come, not to, but I want you to go and stay on the altar. And there is where his presence follows. There is where it licks up. There is where your faith will boil. And there is where your faith will show works. There is where your faith will be made alive. Can you stretch that far today? Can you stretch so far that you would place yourself as an offering on the altar of God? If you want to come up, you can come up. We'll pray for you. Someone will, will hold on to you and put their hands around you, their arms around you and pray for you. But open up the altar of your heart right there and say, Lord, here I am. An offering. Stretch my faith so that I can live pleasing to you. The altar's open. Open your hearts. Let God do a special work. Let's cry out to him. Fill me up. Fill me up, Lord.